Good morning. So I've, we have received some complaints about that intro. They're like, why aren't you dancing to it? And to which I'm like, tall white guy, okay? That's all I need to say. Hey, we want to welcome you to Bible Christian Church. We're a church that is bringing life to our community through the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Uh, today is Veterans Day, and we as a church are so thankful for those who have put uh, our freedom ahead of their safety and have served in the military. Would you just give them a, a round of applause to say thanks? Yeah. And, uh, and, and as you uh, are able to connect with uh, veterans in your life, make sure you show your appreciation to them personally as well. Um, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is uh, one of your first time, if this is your first time joining us, or maybe you've, you've been with us for a little while, and you're like, uh, you know, I'd like to maybe spend more than one day a week with these crazy folks that I go to church with, um, that we, I'd love to get you plugged into community. That's actually uh, what my job is, is I get to connect people into community with other Jesus followers, and it'd be my joy uh, to get you plugged in. Uh, it's an amazing part of our life as Jesus followers, and so if you're wanting to jump in with a life group, uh, we've got, I think we've got like 11 options now, five days of the week. <laughs> no one else heard that but me, okay. All right. Anyways, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, you, you've probably noticed uh, our sweet theme that we've got going on, our 90s, this is how we do it. Um, and, and it's a series that is all about worship. Uh, and we understand that worship is, a, is giving value, it's ascribing worth uh, to something or someone. And, and the, the understanding of how we worship, why we worship, helps us, I feel like, connect uh, in, and... Um, Connect with our Savior. It allows us to be more intentional uh, with, with our worship as opposed to simply maybe just showing up and doing the same things we've always done because we've always done them. Uh, Chad talked last week about communion, and we're going to build a little bit off that idea this week as we talk about our tithes and our offerings. Now, you hear the word tithe, and you're like, that's a very churchy word. I'm, I'm assuming that's a holy word. Uh, actually, it's just a simple word. It's tithe means a tenth. A tithe equals a tenth, and that's when, when that word is used in Scripture, that's what that means, okay, a tenth. Now, if you know anything about the nation of Israel, they were not a, a cash or a currency society. Uh, they, when they would bring their tithes, it didn't look anything like we do here when they pass a basket. They would put like an ox in it, right, or a bushel of corn. <laughs> that's, they couldn't do it that way. They'd have to bring their tithe to the temple um, and I bet it was quite a different process than what we experience today. And, and so as I was thinking about how they did their tithes and their offerings, I was thinking about as a kid growing up in the 90s, if that's, I didn't have cash, but I had things. And so if I were going to tithe on the things that I had, if that was our method of tithing uh, our, our goods or our um, uh, products or, the, or our possessions, then I would have probably tithed, I had a lot of Ninja Turtles, so I would have tithed a Leonardo, right? Or um, how many of you guys know what pogs are? Any pogs? All right, how many of you, that was like the bane of your existence for your kids. You're like, hate these things. They're, in the, they're stuck in the vacuum. They're all over the house. Uh, not as bad as stepping on Legos, though. Um, it, we've got a picture of pogs up here, some of the little round things. Maybe, maybe, do, yeah, there we go. Or how about Pokemon cards? Yeah, I see you back there. How about Pokemon cards? How many of you guys had Pokemon cards? Okay, right on. And some people are like, I'm not willing to admit that now. So there's no, like no hands are going up. Maybe one, right? And that person is in touch with their inner nerd, and I appreciate that. Um, 
there's a couple now that are worth over $100,000. I feel like I missed the boat there. So, so for me, uh, it, was, it was baseball cards. I was, all, I was huge into baseball. And so if, if I felt, maybe if I felt like Holy Spirit calling me to be especially generous uh, during, during offering time, I would slide a 1984 Bo Jackson rookie card into the offering. There. Guys are like, yeah. Girls are like, I have no idea what you just said. I'd, right? So as adults, obviously, when we worship God with our tithe, that means that we are worshiping God with our tenth, all right? That's just as we, as we use the word tithe, we want to understand that that is synonymous. It means a tenth. So we also need to understand that when we talk about tithes and offerings, I'm not using two words for the same thing. Tithes and offerings are different things. A tithe is, is essentially, as we look at Scripture, it's the baseline of giving. It's that tenth. And an offering is, is something above and beyond that. Um, and so as we're starting to talk about this conversation, some of us are okay with it, and others of us, we tense up a little bit when the guy on stage starts talking about money, right? And, and so for some of us, we're, the idea of giving a tenth, a tenth of our income, that seems crazy. Like, like we're having a hard time wrapping our head around that. And then others of us sitting in the room are thinking, okay, a tenth, that's that's, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've moved beyond that and we're, we're giving it a different place. And so we have to understand that as we talk about money, that we have to understand that everybody in the room is going to be in a different place when it comes to that. But the reality is that God has called us to use our possessions, to use our finances as an act of worship, okay? And, and the reality is we don't want to shame anyone, okay? If you have less than others, all right, that's, this isn't a this isn't a shame thing. This isn't a you should be given more conversation. But this is a we need to be informed about what the Bible says about our money and finances, okay? And if we know anything about what Scripture says about giving, uh, we know that, that God, is not, uh, God is not honored by simply doing the right thing, but it's about doing the right thing in the right way. And it's like that with all of worship, right? Uh, let's take a look in the book of Mark, chapter 12. Verses 41 to 44. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. And so based upon this scripture, what we decided to do with today was, uh, was record everybody's giving today, and then we're going to show it. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. But, but as I read this story, I don't know about you, and this is, this is just me talking, okay? But it seems foolish to me that this woman who had no real source of discernible income decided to give all that she had to the local church. That seems foolish to me, but I do know that the Savior of the world looked at it and was deeply moved by her generosity, which tells me two things, okay? First, that, the, see, there it is again. I'm not the only one who heard that this time, right? The first is that, is that Jesus valued giving to the local church enough to use it as a moment to teach his disciples, right? And the second thing is, is that Jesus wants people to rely on God to provide for them. And that this woman really understood what it meant to rely on God. 
And so we need to keep that as in mind as we start to gain a biblical understanding of what it means to tithe and to give our offering. But that isn't all that Scripture says. And so uh, what I want to do is go back a little bit into history and see, well, what did it look like, and how does that affect us in our giving and in our faith and in our walk with Jesus now? So let's go way back. We're going to go to Genesis 14, verses 19 through 20. Um, and, and let's just read this. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivers your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now the guy saying this, his name was Melchizedek, which as I'm, I'm looking at trends, that's one of the hot new baby names coming up in the next, no, it's not. Okay, but it's this guy Melchizedek, and he's the king of Salem, and he's also this high priest of God Most High. And, and what we have to understand about this story is that Abram and his family and his people, they just defeated these armies of the four kings, which sounds like a Lord of the Rings book, I know, but it's in scripture. I would encourage you to read it. And, and we read that this king tells Abram that the victory happened because of God Most High. Okay, and then he re- and then Abram, okay, who later we come to know as Abraham, he then recognizes that this Melchizedek guy, he's a priest of the God Most High, which is Abram's God, and he's like, I know this guy, and I, and I understand what he's saying to me, and because I'm so thankful for this, I'm going to give a tenth of everything that I have as a gift back to God through this priest Melchizedek. Um, And so this is big because this is the start of something, uh, of a brand new practice of worship called tithing. Now, we understand that that worship happened of giving of one's goods, of one's produce, of one's livestock as a sacrifice. Like that, that was a thing that already existed. But now there's a process to it. There's a name around it. And it started not because Abram wanted to invite God's blessing onto him. He's not, God, I'm giving this so that you will bless me. How did he tithe? He tithed because God had already blessed him. You see how that applies to us? When we give, we give because God has already blessed us. Let me, I want to see a show of hands how many people in this room are blessed. I'm hoping it's everybody raising their hands, okay? Even, if, even when we're in the worst of circumstances, we recognize that God has blessed us. Has he not? Okay, and so, so we move, through, move uh, forward through time a little bit. We encounter this guy named Moses, okay? And Moses was the one who, who took down the law as God gave it to him, and that was the law for the nation of Israel. And God found tithe to be important enough that it become an essential function of worship. Let's take a look at Leviticus 27, 30. How long has it been since we've read from Leviticus, right? It's been a while. Nobody's like, yeah, Leviticus. But it's good, trust me. All right, here's what it says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil of fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so basically, that was the currency of their work, which would have been fruits, vegetables, livestock. A tenth of that was to be given in recognition of God's provision, to recognize that God provides for us. And so, while it was written into the law, the purpose of that tithe, it was more than just an obligation, right? It was a nationwide recognition that God is good and that he provides for us. 
theme is starting to develop throughout Scripture here, right? And so this tithe, then later on through time, is given to this, this tribe called the Levites. Now, if you know anything about Israel, back in the day there were 12, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look at an old biblical map of that, of that area, you would see which tribe had which particular section of land. And if you were to look at that, you would notice that the Levites actually have no land. Because their entire purpose of their tribe, they were to be priests to the nation of Israel. And so the book of Numbers describes, we're preaching from the Torah today, all right? The book of Numbers describes how the tithe process worked. Chapter 18, verse 21 says this, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. And so when the tithe came into the temple, it went to the Levites, and and it was for the priestly services administered by them. And so as we go down in verse 26, God basically sets up an incredible leadership principle here, and and we're going to talk a little bit about this. In verse 26, the Levites are told that they actually have to tithe what they are given. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? To go, if, if they're instructing the nation of Israel on how to worship, and, and we believe that, that worship is enough for us to have it in the law and to have us tithe as a nation, then it would make sense then that the Levites, the ones who are leading that conversation, are also tithing as well. Does that make sense? And we believe that fully at BCC. It's why when we ask questions on our, on our, um, on our elder survey about people leading, the conversation is, well, how do you feel about tithing? Well, because those of us who are leading should be leading with integrity. Does that make sense? And so we expect our leaders to lead in the way of giving because we want people to lead people well in how we worship. Does that make sense? It would be really hypocritical of me to say, you guys need to tithe and me not tithe, wouldn't it? We're leading people. We want to lead with full integrity. Okay, we start to see then that the nation of Israel took seriously their worship of God and the financial aspect that went with that. In fact, as we look at history and how, how they gave to God, the truth is they actually gave a lot more than 10%. Take a, let's take a look at, at, uh, at Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 6. Okay, it says, But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes and put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, Bring, there bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Seven different ways to give. And so that we have multiple methods of giving. And in fact, as we read more in Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 14, we see that they tithe another 10% every year to support a special jubilee festival. Okay, so time out. Let's examine what that really means. They took 10% of their income as law to party. Nobody parties harder than the nation of Israel. <laughs> All right? And then every third year, there was, a, there was another tithe, meaning another 10% that was taken to support orphans, widows, and the poor. And so these mandatory offerings for the nation of Israel meant that they tithe at, on average, 23% of their income, of their livelihood. But that was not the ceiling of their generosity. In fact, when we read in Exodus 36, and I would encourage you, it's a great story, Moses called for an offering to build the tabernacle, 
The Israelites, they gave so much that Moses had to command them to stop giving. Let's think about that sermon for a minute. I could just imagine Justin Sanchez, he's the, he's the chair of our elders, I can imagine him getting up here and going, guys, you have got to stop. Our budget is fully covered for the year. We've overwhelmed our missionaries and our local partners like ABC Pregnancy Center simply cannot receive any more money. That'd be a fantastic message to give, <laughs> right? And it seems funny, but, but when God's people are recklessly obedient to him, crazier stuff has been known to happen. What would it look like in your household to be recklessly obedient to God in your finances? And I, and I phrase it as obedience because the reality is, is that God calls us as his followers to obey him with our everything, with our person, with our possessions, with our actions, with our lives. That means when we follow Jesus, we declare him as the Lord of our life. We come into a correct way of thinking and doing things. And when we follow Jesus, we begin to recognize that this life is not our own, right? But it belongs to God for the work of the kingdom. And if that's true, well, what does that mean for our actions? Well, it means that my actions are to be things that I do because Jesus has saved me and Holy Spirit has empowered me to do for the kingdom, right? So when I go to work, I'm not going to work to earn money. I'm going to work to be a witness for the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I stop doing my work and I crack open the Bible and I, and I halt production. It means that I do my work excellently to honor Jesus and I invite pe other people into that as well. Does that make sense? So everything I, I do, when I work hard, I'm not working hard to earn a reputation for myself, but I'm doing everything for the glory of God. If then my life is not my own, but God's, my house is now used to glorify God. My house becomes a place where Jesus is known and learn, learned about. My house becomes a place where people are fed in the name of Jesus and people are blessed and challenged and encouraged because that house doesn't actually belong to me. I had the privilege of being invited uh, with some of our, by some of our friends to go and help them search for a house to live in. It's a young couple. They're getting ready to have their first kid. And their, their primary focus was, we want a living room that is large enough to host a life group. We want a house that has enough space in it to host a life group. Now, when I watch shows like House Hunters, I don't hear phrases like that, right? But, but when I hear somebody say that, that is a couple who is concerned about the faith of the next generation. That is a couple who, who is saying that our house is to be, is to be the Lord's house. And I, and I love that attitude. Um, they're not doing it out of obligation. They're doing it because nothing in this world is greater than what Jesus has done for them. And therefore, they're so thankful that they can't help but behave that way. Right? The Apostle Paul, in many of his letters, calls himself a servant of, of Jesus or a slave to the gospel. And while I think some of us are uncomfortable with that language, what, what Paul recognizes is, is, is something that's true for all, for all humans, for all of humanity. As long as humans have been alive, we have enslaved ourselves to something or someone, right? And as Americans, we don't like that because we're free, right? There's no knock-knock jokes about America because freedom rings, I'll let that settle. But the reality is that we do. We enslave ourselves 
to things, okay? Uh, for instance, some of us, some of us are, are slaves to work, to our job. We've bought into the idea that we're good dads or we're good moms or spouses because we went out and we got that job and we work between 60 and 80 hours a week and, and we're not able to see our family, but we're providing for them. But the reality is, is that we're slaves to our job because if we lost that job, chances are we'd likely lose our identity as well. For some of us, we like that job because it means that we don't actually have to deal with the things that are going on at home because we've made it so that we don't have time for them. Some of us, and believe it or not, you can actually enslave yourself to your family. We've said things like, you know, I really don't have time to participate in community because I only have so much time with my children. But that's just kind of a cop-out, isn't it? Because if we're servants of Jesus, we would know that investing in the kingdom is investing in our children when we do it right. If we're, if we're slaves to the gospel, we'd know that, that as our children watch us invest in people, that they get to see the gospel in action. I, I love that, that um, you know, I, I, I don't, honestly, I, I feel like there are people who do a better job of parenting than us, but I feel like one area where I'm just thrilled that Jesus has, has, has just blessed is when we get ready for life group, our kids get ready for life group too, because it's not just Jenny and Chris's life group, but it's Neva and Lydia's life group. And they prepare to invest in the kids who are coming over to their house. But whether it be sports, or whether it be family, or whether it be works, uh, work, or, or, or anything, really, we've, we've enslaved ourselves to those things. And if we really took time to understand it, what we would find is, is this inescapable truth that, that we actually love our jobs more than we love Jesus. That we, we actually love our families more than we love Jesus. Did you know that that's, that's the opposite of a biblical perspective? Okay? we would come to the conclusion that maybe we love our homes more than we love Jesus. For some of us, we've lost that focus. We've enslaved ourselves, actually, to anything but Jesus. And the reality is, is that's why we don't tithe. That's why the average church attendance means one out of every three or four weeks. It's why we take our security in our finances, because that's the most real thing to us in that moment and not in the one who formed the foundations of the earth. You see, some of us, we don't participate in the kingdom because we just simply don't value it. Because as we talked about, worship is giving worth to something, right? Giving value to something. We give worth to things. We give value to things by our time and our resources, right? We've chosen to give value to lesser things, We've chosen to give value to things that don't matter. We've chosen to ascribe worth to finite things instead of eternal things. You see, God wants better for us. Jesus wants you to know that there's something better for us if we'd be willing to let go of the things that are passing away and take hold of the hand of the King who reigns forever. And, and I, I have to say that, that what I just talked about, that doesn't apply to everybody. Uh, because the reality is, is that Bible Christian Church is known as a generous church in the community. And it's a generous church because, because people made worship through their finances a priority. It's a generous church because people said yes to Jesus in areas where other people maybe in other churches were a little uncomfortable saying yes to. Okay? 
And, and, and in fact, I, I know people who've actually said, well, my tithing is between me and God. Well, it starts that way, but it doesn't end up that way. You see, if you're discipling people, if we're discipling people, meaning being obedient to what Jesus has called us to do, right? He told us to go and what? Make disciples. So if we're discipling people and we've decided that our tithing is between us and God and we've passed that on to the next generation, you know what that means for the church? Well, eventually it means that the church isn't gonna, the doors aren't going to be open anymore. Eventually it means that, that we're going to disciple people who have no idea that God wants to do something with our resources. Have no idea that, that when we give, it does something in our hearts. Okay? And I know, I know that sounds harsh, but the reality is, is that God hasn't called us to live lives of average obedience. Right? He hasn't called us to live lives of, of mediocrity. He didn't, he, didn't come, he didn't say, I came so that you may have life and have a little bit of it. What did he say? I came that you, so that you would have life and have it abundantly. Right? Yeah, and so he's called us, he's called us to live lives of radical obedience, for his kingdom, not ours. And if that's true, if we're called to be slaves to the gospel, if we're called to be servants of Jesus, then we can't ignore the worship practice of tithing and giving offerings. Because we see time and time again, believers in scripture who give because they recognize what God has done and they give out of thanksgiving or they give out of faith. And so if we're not giving... Perhaps it's not so much a money problem as it is a perspective problem or a faith problem or a thanksgiving problem. Let me ask a question. This may make people uncomfortable. How many of us are legitimately okay with how much money we make? Right? Okay, that's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, how many of us would like to make more? I'd, I, I would consider myself in both of those categories. All right? I'm not sure how that works, but I just do. <laughs> All right? But see, we can get wrapped up in that too, can't we? We can get wrapped up in that mentality to the point where we're no longer thankful. When we sit down at our tables with our stack of bills like this and our paycheck like this, and we go, there's no way that this is going to cover this. And that's real. Church, I recognize that, that is, that's real stuff, that that is what's going on in our lives. And I don't want to minimize that. But what if we sat down at that table and we looked at that pile of bills and we looked at our paycheck and we said, Jesus, I'm thankful that you've given me enough to survive. And I trust you with my income. Imagine that instead of saying, my tithe is between me and God, we said, my tithe matters to the kingdom, even if it isn't much. You see, the reality is, is the line that we were fed about our faith just being us and God, that really makes no sense at all. Because if that were true, okay, let me ask this question. No, it's a statement. <laughs> I would like for you to take your index finger and point it at the person that God has called to make disciples who make disciples, to spread his gospel. Go ahead and take your finger and point it at the person who's responsible for that. Don't you point at me. <laughs> we pay him for that, right? So, if we are the primary method for which the gospel is being spread, our faith really isn't all about us, is it? It's not. You see, it's about us. 
and our relationship with one another and the stewardship of our resources that testify about the God who loves and the God who is holy and the God who is perfect and the God who is grace-filled and the God who is generous. And that cannot be done if our faith is just about me and God. Amen? You see, our faith deeply affects those around us, just like our faith, our lack of faith, deeply affects those around us. That's really heavy. I understand that. So I want to take a moment and get practical. Okay, again, this isn't to shame anybody, but we do need to be aware of what Scripture says about the real things that are going on in our lives. We believe that Scripture's alive, right, and that it applies to us, okay? So how do we get there? So first, I, I, let me ask this question. How many of us have a financial plan, like an idea of what we want to do with our money. Now, for some of us, that might be, I was really hoping to win that $1.6 billion a couple of weeks ago, like, but that's not a great financial plan, all right? I just want to let you know the odds are against you, all right? But, but what, what is our plan? Like, how do we account for the money that comes in? See, I used to be real bad at that, and when Jenny and I got married, um, she took over my checkbook, and she's, and I used to work, I used to wait tables, and I, I actually did some gigs um, doing runway modeling, which actually paid pretty decent. Now, now I do, um, now I do plus size modeling and before pictures. Um, but she, she got a hold of my, of my checkbook when we got married, and she's like, how do you know how much money you have? And I said, well, when I feel like I'm getting low, I'll go work an extra shift. <laughs> like I'm one with my checkbook somehow. Right? But do we have a plan? Are we taking, because here's the real, as Jesus followers, we're called to, to be good stewards of our resources. That means to understand how much we make and how much we spend and to make a plan for that. Does that make sense? So, so like we're planning for things like, uh, things like retirement or kids going to school or, or to replace the aging vehicle in our fleet or to, you know what I mean? We, we, we're making plans. How many of us are making plans on how to be generous to God and how to increase our generosity? Uh, I've, I've got a friend, his, his personal goal, and I, and I love this, and he's working his way there, uh, but his personal goal in regards to generosity is that he wants to give 80% of what he makes away. I'm like, oh, man, I am not, I'm, like, I'm like over here, and you're like, you're like down on you know, the bypass. <laughs> right? But here's, here's the thing. If you don't currently tithe for whatever reason, let me encourage you today. That journey, that to get to that place where you feel like God has called you, take the first step. Maybe it's, maybe it's God, I can, I can feasibly do 10 bucks a month. Take that step. Here's what's cool about God. When we draw near to God, he does what? He draws near to us. When we take that step, he starts to open doors for us. I'm not talking about health and wealth theology here. Because uh, the chances are, if, 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 if we're just giving 10% or if we're giving $10, chances are we're just going to be out that $10. We're going to be out that 10%, right? But it's about what God is doing in our hearts. It's about our obedience to what it is that he's called us to do. And it's about drawing near to him and relying on Jesus instead of relying on something else. And listen, I can tell you I've been there. When we lived in southern Indiana, we, we bought our dream home. We had, we had nice cars with payments. And then the economy tanked, and I wasn't getting paid as much, and my wife wasn't getting as many hours. And, and we're looking at, at, our, at our bills, and we're looking at what's coming in, and we're like, there's no way that we're going to make it. And so we went and talked to a trusted friend, um, 
and, and he's not a Jesus follower, but really good with money. And he said, he said um, you know, you're, if you would just stop tithing, you'd be able to afford to pay down this debt a little bit more. And so my wife and I, we, we, we listened, and we went and prayed over it, and we felt like God was saying to us to actually do the opposite, to actually increase our giving, which is nuts. Like if you saw what we saw, you'd know that that was totally nuts. See, we'd made selfish, bad decisions with our money, and we were reaping the consequences of that, and it would have been easy to cut our tithe and to pay down our debt, but we felt like God telling us to continue to commit to him financially, and so we did, and God blessed it. We were able to sell our cars. We were able to sell our home. We were able to bring our expenses in line and give God the glory with our financial story. Sounds like I'm starting to write a poem there, but I'm not. You know what? In that season, we didn't tithe out of thanksgiving, but we tithe out of faith. And I think God honors that. God honors, just like that that widow who tithed the two small copper coins. Jesus said, she understands giving. I want to invite the worship team to come up. See, here's the reality of giving. Biblically speaking, when we look at Scripture... Jesus' followers are generous. When we look at Acts 2, it says that the church, that that they sold possessions and goods to make sure that one another didn't go without. And and it says that that they did many amazing works and did incredible things, and they found favor with all of the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. See, Jesus' followers are generous, and they give both out of obedience and thankfulness and faith. Why? Why? Because they understand that life is about building the kingdom of God. Life is about something greater than ourselves. And it's about a king of limitless resources inviting humanity to participate in investing in the only thing that we're going to take with us to heaven. You know what that is? People. People are what we're going to take to heaven. And when you give to the local church, you with full integrity say, I believe in God and what he's doing in the church that he established. And as we look at worship, will we consciously choose to exempt ourselves from a part of it because we don't like what it says? Or will we participate wholeheartedly because we believe God and his promises? In your worship, I want to encourage you, make a tithing and offering goal for your homes. As disciples of Jesus, ask, God, what are you saying in my finances? And then take a plan to do it steps to do it. For some of us, it means that we're going to embark on a, on a spiritual and financial journey that we've never been on before. For others of us, maybe God is calling us to approach worship differently. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not just the, the commercial break between the songs, but it's, it's a moment where we can bless God, where we can recognize with hearts filled with thanksgiving how we have been blessed. Wherever you're at, and, and what was great is after service yesterday, a couple people, or this morning, they came and they, they shared with me their stories about God has blessed them when they decided to take those steps of faith. And I'd love to continue to hear those stories. I'd love, we want to celebrate those with you. We'd love to hear about, about your spiritual journey and, and how God has increased your faith. The, God, the path that God has you on. What I want us to do is let's just go ahead and stand. And we're going to sing together. And if you need prayer today, I would invite you to come while we sing.